If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, welcome to another episode of Sky Dragon Slaying, where we bring you the truth on science and current affairs the mainstream would rather you didn't know. I'm John O'Sullivan, CEO of Principia Scientific International. As usual, joining me is Canadian astrophysicist Joe Posma. Um, well, here's a question for you. Are you feeling bullish about Bitcoin? This week's big financial news is cryptocurrency is on a winning streak. The digital asset is on track for a fifth straight monthly gain. It's the longest run since 2021's bull market. If you're like me, one of the vast majority of people who don't know much about the currency, it's a good time to take a look and uh, find out a bit more, um, especially since we're being told repeatedly that we're in the age now of central di uh, digital banking currencies. Now, if they come along, you won't have cash. Cash is going to be going out if they get their way. Now, to help us get a handle on this, we welcome you back, uh, Chris Almeida. Chris is a recognized media, a global business strategist, visionary leader. For empowering innovation in tech, media, funding, and beyond. Uh, he was on a show last month and gave us a really good rundown on a lot, a lot of uh, financial matters. Uh, he's down there in Portugal. Hi, Chris. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Um, you know, Bitcoin is something I never, ever felt the need to look at, but I think it's going to get to the point now where you've got to. Um, you know, it's it's doing really well. Uh, I thought it was going to be, you know, a flash in the pan. I thought that uh, it was uh, very suspicious, but uh, you've got a different take on it, haven't you? Absolutely. Uh, Bitcoin is a revolutionary technology that really empowers us to become completely uh, financially sovereign, meaning the ability to manage our ourselves independently of any central authority. That's really what uh, Bitcoin represents. And it's, um, you know, the gains... Uh, that we talk about are uh, very exciting, of course, relative to fiat currency, but that's not really the, the key. That's not really the important thing. It really represents a, a paradigm shift from finances and money being controlled by a central authority to a completely decentralized peer-to-peer -peer finance system where value is actually represented by uh, the system itself and the people who use it. And so that's what's so exciting about it. My, my take on Bitcoin, my, my, my entry point into Bitcoin is really on, on the freedom tech side, on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the principles of Bitcoin. And really, that's what makes it so important. Yeah, big thing for me, um, like you, Chris, I, I can work remotely. Um, I'm one of those uh, groups of professionals that uh, with the Internet. I can work anywhere yeah. and uh, to maximize my, my 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 finances it makes sense for me to think about relocating and be become a digital nomad pretty much like your good self you know you you could have been stuck in the us you could have been living a, a different kind of life i've been looking at the far east chris i've been looking at uh, these asiatic countries where you can live pretty much like a king on a, on a, on a on a pretty reasonable western income and it's with the access to the internet it is very tempting. I think more and more people are looking at that. And, and I'm sure you've got your finger on the pulse on that one, haven't you? 
Absolutely. I mean, that's a, a, a big trend that's happening. You know, digital nomad is something that's really popular right now. Um, people are starting to recognize that they can work from anywhere. The idea that uh, we need to uh, type on a laptop inside an office provided by a company uh, just makes absolutely no sense. It's not the, the highest and best use of that real estate even. Uh, it doesn't make sense from the commercial real estate perspective. It doesn't make sense from the work perspective. Uh, that's really not where necessarily how people can be the most productive. Um, and the ways that we look at uh, what makes someone productive and what is productivity are really changing as well. So I've been working remote for almost 20 years. I worked remote for Microsoft from Hawaii. I did so uh, successfully uh, throughout my career at that time. It contributed the same way as any other member did um, and shipped a lot of products. And, and that's what was important, right? What was important is results. I think the thing that's so much different today is with, with a... Uh, uh, technology like Bitcoin is that it, it's completely borderless. So you can take your Bitcoin anywhere with you. Uh, you. It doesn't matter where you're at. You simply have to have access to the internet and then you can transact to any other person in the world at any any time without requiring anybody's permission. So um, I'd love to have a conversation kind of, you know, at the top level of, of what is sovereignty? What, what, is that, what does that mean? And then dive that kind of down into the, to the finance side of it. Because I think it's really important to understand if you're going to understand Bitcoin, you need to understand money and what the difference is and, and, and why uh, Bitcoin is so revolutionary. And then, uh, then we can really see what it means to be sovereign and, and what you can do to empower yourself to enable those kinds of scenarios. Because you should be able to work wherever you're treated best. That makes the most sense, right? If if that's if that's the lifestyle that you want, you you know you're coming close to your retirement. A lot of people move to Portugal for that, right? It's a sunny place in Europe. It has the appeal of, of being in Europe and you know the architecture, the culture, the history, all of that. Uh, it's sunny, it's warm, it's got a great climate, and things are certainly less expensive than they are in other parts of the world. So um, you should be able to do that, and certainly Asia is is a is a big place for that as well. Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, those are mm. big places that Singapore, uh, an amazing country, great place. Uh, the UAE, of course, Dubai is very, very popular for people to go and work and live and uh, to operate businesses out of. So people are starting to look uh, for where they're going to be treated best, treated best from a, a freedom perspective, treated best from a tax perspective, treated best from a financial, uh, uh, a, uh, from a, um, a lifestyle perspective, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, and the way I like to do things now, I, I realized, Chris, that uh, over the years, you can't really trust institutions anymore. You, you have to kind of do it word of mouth now. And I tend to like the idea that I, I'm very fortunate that I've built up a good network of contacts since I became a, you know online personality. And people have been coming to me, giving me advice, and, and vice versa. You know, you share ideas. Because when you're a, a public figure, Chris, you know, you have, you have to maintain a certain level of integrity. And one of the things I'm very wary of is promoting anything that I don't know much about. And uh, I would much rather talk to someone like you. You know, we've done a bit of due diligence. We've looked into you. We kind of get a feel for you. And having spoken to you, you know, we, we kind of think we, we, we I would use you as probably a first point of call now to try and do a deeper dive. So one of the questions I would put to you now, Chris, is as a, somebody learning a bit about Bitcoin, what resources could I go to just to improve my knowledge? You know, something that's not truly partial. I mean, obviously, you're, you're a Bitcoin uh, promoter. You're very much wedded to the idea of Bitcoin. But um, mm -hmm. putting your putting your devil's advocate hat on for a moment, where would you advise somebody to go who truly is a novice and just wants to get some basic information? 
Absolutely. That's a great question. One of the one of the leading principles of Bitcoin is don't trust, verify. That's how the, the entire Bitcoin network is really works on this basis. The technology works on this basis. That's why it's a it's a peer to peer system, uh, a verification system where you have different nodes verifying transactions. And if everybody doesn't agree, then, then we're not going to commit that transaction to the blockchain. The, that principle pervades everything around Bitcoin. Bitcoiners don't trust anybody. Uh, I am certainly not the single best resource. There are many, many resources out there. There are some great foundational books. I love uh, Safedine, I always mispronounce his name, Amos, uh, uh, The Bitcoin Standard. That's a fantastic book to read. Really sets the stage for uh, the principles of money, brings you up why centralized uh, uh, fiat systems don't work, why they, uh, why money is constantly being debased by the printing of money and why you are saving in something that is becoming less and less valuable over time. Whereas Bitcoin is the exact opposite of that. Um, Bitcoin.org is a great place. There's the Bitcoin Wiki, the Bitcoin community in itself. We love, people love welcoming new Bitcoiners. I'm gonna send you both some sats today. Hopefully we're gonna be able to do this live. A Satoshi is uh, a unit within the Bitcoin ecosystem. So a Bitcoin is the currency. Small B is a Bitcoin. Big B is the Bitcoin network. That's the technology. Uh, one Bitcoin is divided into 100 million Satoshis. So I'm going to send you some Satoshis. So that's like a, a, a part of a Bitcoin. So you can see how easily it is to receive, how quickly, how we can do it privately without anyone telling us we can't. And you can be there and you can be in Canada and I'm in Portugal and you're in the UK and we'll do it in seconds. So that's exciting. Um, there are... Uh, the community as a whole, you go out onto uh, any media where Bitcoin people are and say, hey, I'm new to Bitcoin and I want to learn more about Bitcoin and bring your, your shovel for the fire hose. It's going to come your way because there's just so many resources out there and there's so much enthusiasm and so many people really want you to understand and to come on for the right reasons. Yeah. Hey, Chris, I mean, you're... There's been a bunch of stories. There's been a bunch of stories about you know people losing Bitcoin, having Bitcoin stolen digitally from them, and you know since this represents uh, you know a large amount of money, it's been a really big deal. Um, you know, obviously, um, when people have cash, when you hold cash, obviously everyone understands that if you leave cash out in a public place, well, if it gets stolen, you're not going to be able to track who holds that cash. It's in a pocket. It's gone. Right? Everyone knows not to leave cash sitting out. Because you uh, are setting yourself just at, setting yourself up to just have that cash stolen. So, what about these cases where Bitcoin has has been stolen and and lost? When people have lost it, I, I think people have a hard time getting their head around the idea that it's something that you need to take care of and manage just like you would cash, although it's digital and it's on your computer. So it's a bit hard to get your head around that and keep it as safe, isn't it? Can you can you discuss that? Um, you know Absolutely. how to keep your Bitcoin safe. I'd love to speak to that. Uh, and I think there's some things that we should clear out. Where does Bitcoin exist? Bitcoin exists only on a ledger, which has addresses and balances on the internet. And it's distributed worldwide among different people who participate in users who participate in the Bitcoin network. There's different types of users. There's a node, which validates transactions. And there's miners, which help create more Bitcoin more Bitcoin, excuse me, not Bitcoin, uh, uh, against a fixed supply. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So because it's self-sovereign, 
you are taking responsibility. There is no central trusted third party intermediary. You're right. It's like having cash and you are responsible for it. And if you leave it on the counter, someone could potentially take it. The difference with Bitcoin is in order for someone to take your Bitcoin, they have to have your private keys. Full stop. You are completely control when you create a Bitcoin wallet, a Bitcoin wallet, which is a bit of a misnomer. It's not a wallet like your, your wallet you put in your back pocket with cash in it because you're not holding the cash. What you're holding is the keys to access those digits on, on that distributed ledger. That's what the Bitcoin network is. So think of it as a database that's all over the world. It's got an address that belongs to me, an address that belongs to you, an address that belongs to Joe. Joe has the keys to his address, the private keys, only Joe has them. And those private keys generate a public key, which creates an address that you can send and receive from. That's basically how it works, okay? So there's not really, Bitcoin doesn't really get stolen in the sense that someone can't hack and it's never been hacked, never. No one has ever been able to uh, break the private, the encryption that is the underlying basis of Bitcoin. What can happen is you could be compelled to give up your private keys by law enforcement or somebody with a wrench uh, holding over your head. That's a, a feasible scenario. Uh, if you didn't uh, do things in, in a way that uh, helped you keep secure and safe, um, people put their passwords uh, online. So they use what's called a hot wallet, which is a, a software wallet, which is connected to the internet. So if your computer or the terminal that you were using to access the internet is compromised in some way, if there's a key logger, a password stealer, something like that, someone could get your password or your, your private keys and then access your wallet and send and receive from that. That's really the only way that that, that can happen. It's not that difficult to be safe, but you are the one responsible. If just like cash, if you go down and you give somebody $25 uh, and then ask for it back because you decide you don't want it, Bitcoin's a one-way transaction. When you send Bitcoin to someone, it's irreversible. There's no chargebacks, which is great for merchants, right? Um, great for stores, that kind of thing. Um, sorry, that little... Yeah, just uh, going to jump in. Do you mind just for a moment? I mean, I, I'm um, again, you're right on the basics. I mean, I know the technology always evolves, and um, I know that there's no such thing as a you know a, an infallible system. Um, and, and you say there's never it's never been hacked. Um, when did it, Bitcoin first become an, an international currency? Is, is is it quite a while now? I mean, I get the impression it's quite a few years. It's been going now. It's yeah, it's a white paper. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get yelled at later today uh, <laughs> when I go to my next Bitcoin meetup. Meet I think the white paper is 2009. Uh, I want to say uh, Bitcoin released. Uh, I think the first trade happened in 2010 uh, when the first trading company. So it went from zero to uh, some sort of valuation. Um, Bitcoin has obviously grown exponentially, hugely since then. In the past 10 years, it's the best performing asset in the world in the last 10 years, outperforming pretty much every other asset, including gold. Uh, people are starting to recognize that it's it's the hardest money. It is essentially digital gold, has all the uh, characteristics of gold. It's, it's scarce, it's durable, it's recognizable. Uh, people want it, except uh, you have a really hard time sending gold from me to Joe in Canada because uh, it's heavy, 
someone will probably steal it along the way, or the government doesn't want me to slip gold coins into, uh, you know, it, it takes away the, it solves for that problem. So yeah, Bitcoin's been around for a while, but uh, not very long in the terms of financial systems. Yeah, we're going to take a short break. This is TNT Radio. TNT, Sonia Porton. You feel the need to describe yourself along with being a useless eater, free speech, as a phobia, as a male with a penis. Why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such? Well, you never know these days, do you? Anyone can have a penis, apparently. So just thought you better make sure everybody knows. And that, and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack? No, there's no such thing. There was, there was literally no such thing till a couple of years ago. And it's, it's their religion, it's not mine. And I refuse to get involved with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. If you're still wearing a cloth or surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, we're talking about Bitcoin because it appears to be, you know, the, the thing at the moment. Then the Bloomberg ran an article this week saying that uh, it's a fifth straight month where Bitcoin's been on the rise. It's the, the strongest bull market, you know, for, since 2021. Uh, optimism is growing about this new form of currency and uh, the world is changing. You know, whenever I go with my smartphone, people want me to pay with my smartphone. Again, I don't carry cash. I regret that because, again, I, I'm, I'm a great believer in not putting all your eggs in one basket. But again, if you're shrewd, if you're smart about how you handle your money, as Chris is saying, you've got to be you got you got to do your due diligence. You've got to be cautious. And uh, during the break, uh, Chris, Joe, Post, Joe Postman made the point that it's just like any other app. It, it can, in effect, be like that, can't it? Absolutely. I mean, you can you can participate as deeply as you want. And if you just want to transact, it's simply a matter of uh, installing a wallet. You can do it in a centralized custodial manner where you, you work with an exchange who handles Bitcoin. Uh, hopefully you want to do it in a, a non-custodial manner, which is obviously more sovereign. So you're completely in charge. Um, you download an app and you receive uh, some Bitcoin or you fund that wallet and you can do that through an exchange. Even you can even do that peer to peer. There are exchanges out there where people meet up uh, in a totally untrusted manner online and buy and sell Bitcoin in exchange for different for euro, for pounds, for dollars, for yen, and exchange those into Bitcoin. 
then you fund that wallet or just like you fund your bank, banking app, right? You deposit your, either your paycheck or, you know, $100 from grandma for your birthday or whatever the case may be. And then you can then transact and you can send uh, those Bitcoin to anyone in the world at any time. Anyone else, all you have to need, all you need to know is their address. Um, that's to send uh, Bitcoin itself, which is on the lowest layer. We call that layer one. That's the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, to make that even more faster and more convenient for people because Bitcoin transactions take on average about 10 minutes. Uh, that's when a block, the, 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 the way that the Bitcoin network works, that's the average block confirmation time. Um, and it can take hours depending on the fee that you want to pay because Bitcoin is an incentivization uh, network. The way the technology is set up the different actors, the miners, the validators are incentivized by rewards to participate. And a transaction with a low value is not as attractive to a miner as a transaction with a higher fee. So those, those higher fee transactions tend to be processed faster. Uh, a way that uh, what has been developed to help scale that so we can do more transactions and do them faster is something called the Lightning Network, which is a layer two. It sits on top of Bitcoin. It uses uh, very small amounts of Bitcoin and allows you to send them instantly through a different network, uh, which has a transaction on one end when it's initiated. And you don't have to understand this even in any way whatsoever as a user. You just download your wallet and say, hey, someone's going to send me some sats and, and you receive sats. It's pretty so how much? So how much are these transfer fees? So it's kind of like a usage fee for using Bitcoin. Every time you want to send or receive or pay for something, there's there's sort of an additional. You almost look at it as a tax. You know, we all pay tax generally on our on our purchases. Yeah. But this uh, so this additional fee um, is what pays for your Bitcoin to be able to be used on the network, basically, right? So what is that yeah. fee sort of look like? Is it a percentage? You know, how much is it? Is it significant or is it so little you don't even really need to worry about? Tell us about that. Yeah, so it really varies. It varies by demand. And that's truly what it's based upon. It's by demand, what the market is willing to bear at the time. So uh, if lots of people, uh, if there's a lot of usage of the network, if there's heavy traffic, the fee could be higher. It's measured in space or V bytes. Um, so it's the amount of data that the transaction contains. So it's not the dollar equivalent. You can send a million Bitcoin, a million dollars worth of Bitcoin to someone and pay a fee of 89 cents. If you try to do that in an international wire, you'd pay significantly more, right? <clears throat> and it would take days for you to do so. Um, yeah, that's when network that traffic is low. Yeah, I was talking to someone at the gym the other day, and they said that they had uh, sent uh, fifty thousand uh, dollars for a payment of something that was Canadian, and it cost them what was it? I think it was a couple bucks uh, to to send that amount of money. Yeah, yeah, and it depends on the system. You know, a bank typically charges you a twenty dollars wire fee if you want to send a wire, so you can get it there right away. You can send something ACH. Maybe that could be a very small amount. That can take days for it to settle, and when it hits your account, of course, you're subject to things like holds and settlement times, transaction holds, those kinds of things. None of that happens with Bitcoin whatsoever. But again, that fee, when the traffic is very heavy, that fee could be, you know, to send $100, it might cost you $5 if the traffic is really, really high at the time and the demand is very high. So um, that is definitely something to consider when you're using the base network. Mm -hmm. But of course, if you want to send someone $100 worth of Bitcoin, you're probably better off using the Lightning Network, which is instant, and the fees are pretty much non-existent.
And the market is changing. This is not happening in a vacuum. Um, again, the big story again this week financially is, is PayPal. They, they've just cut two and a half thousand jobs. Uh, it's getting cutthroat out there. And, it's you know, the big thing for me, again, is the, uh, the issue what kicked off with the war in Ukraine is the sanctions on Russia. You know, the BRICS nations now, they, they're forming their own um, financial systems, aren't they? They're doing things differently out there. And uh, we can't just take our eye off the ball, can we? And and it sounds as if, you know, it's kind of prudent to have a dabble in the Bitcoin market. Again, I, I mean, if I was going to take a, take a go at it, Chris, I'd probably just put a small sum in, some I could afford to lose and not worry too much and just you know, test the water for a year or so and see how it goes. Do you think that's a good way of doing it? I think you need to go back a, a little bit further, take a different, uh, maybe a wider perspective. So if if you have $100, John, and, and you put that in a bank, it's it's losing, due to inflation, uh, what I would consider a significant amount every year. So that $100 next year is only going to buy $92 worth of goods. Your purchasing power is being reduced consistently. Um, over 10 years, uh, right, that's 7% per year. So it's 92, then 7% off that. You just make it 10 to make it easy. It's almost 10 bucks off every year, right? So your, your, your money that you've saved, the instrument that you're using to save just doesn't have, it loses value over time. That's the most important thing to understand. This is historically true across every fiat currency that we have in the world today, including the US dollar, which is the world reserve currency. So why are countries like the BRICS um, moving towards alternatives with asset baskets and all sorts of you know, gold-backed and, and other things is because the promises made around the US dollar are not being kept, which is really the only thing in fiat currency that they, that they have, a promise that the government will protect that and keep that and make that valuable. They, they renege on that promise by continuing to issue trillions and trillions of new dollars, which debases the currency. Bitcoin is completely different. There is only 21 million Bitcoin ever. There, you cannot issue anymore. There is no, it is written into the code. Um, everyone who participates in the system would have to say, okay, we're going to change the code and uh, fork the code into something else. And that something else would no longer be Bitcoin because Bitcoin has a cap of 21 million. 93% um, of that entire supply has already been issued. It's it's already out there. There's only you know seven, maybe it's eight percent left to be mined over the course of the next hundred years. So the amount that's mined every four years gets cut in half. Right now, the reward is six point two Bitcoin. Next year, it'll be three point one. Uh, this year in April, it, it goes down to three point one. The having um, after that, it'll cut in half again to one point seven five, whatever it is. So. Why would you save in something? Why would you earn in something? Why would you participate in something that is current, constantly losing purchasing power? It just doesn't make sense. Bitcoin has proven over the course of its existence to continually gain in purchasing power. Even your real estate today, people look at real estate and they say, oh, my house is worth a million dollars. And it was only 500,000 two years ago. Well, that's not because your house became so much more valuable. That's because the currency became so much more debased. That's the reality. And just to make a point, each Bitcoin, so you said there's 21 million Bitcoin, but each of those Bitcoins can actually be divided uh, by 100 million. So it has, you know, a decimal place, that's, that's eight decimal places. So in fact, you know, that's, 
you know, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a current, you know, U.S. cent, for example. It's way down there. So there's lots. Of, so there's a very fine granularity, actually. So so it can actually scale. So people are like, oh, well, if there's only 21 million Bitcoin. How do I get one? Well, you don't need a whole Bitcoin. You can have a, a, a tiny fraction of a Bitcoin and it still be worth, you know, quite a bit in the future. It's going to be worth quite a bit more money. Right. So um, the other thing that I wanted to discuss was. Um, the uh, um, yeah, just the point that uh, that an app manages these things for you, right? So it is just as simple as having an app on your phone. You have an app on your phone, just like you do for banking, and you can pay bills and you know send you know friends money or you know do in, in Canada. I don't know if they have this everywhere else, but it's called Interact e-transfer. Real simple. Um, so you can do that, you know, with basically with your with with Bitcoin. But um, the other aspect that we should really get into is the freedom aspect of this, about how revolutionary this is in terms of sovereignty for everybody. Perhaps, you know, I think that a lot of the TNT listeners are aware that there is something called a financial global sort of banking system, right, which has taken over the world. You know, people might know about the history of the Rothschilds. Uh, the setting up of the Federal Reserve and, you know, and the Rothschilds activities in Europe, uh, getting their banking network started. And of course, uh, there's, uh, you know, connections that go back in time relating to the Vatican, uh, the Knights Templar, you know, fractional reserve lending. Basically, uh, it's a scheme to take over the world. And if you're good at it, you can enslave the entire planet uh, through uh, the banking system. And that is essentially what has happened uh, to this planet in this fractional reserve lending system. Uh, basically, the banks don't actually have any reserves and they don't actually have any assets or they only have about 5% of reserves and assets, right? So, you know, this comes out of, you know, the gold exchange with the Knights Templars and, and even further back, somebody figured out how to do this. You know, traditionally, the medium of currency of exchange would have been gold. But the people who held the gold uh, realized that at only at any one time, there's only about 5% of their gold holdings that's out in uh, the economy being actually used and exchanged by people. And they th thought, well, if only 5% of people are only ever asking for their gold back, I can just create certificates. And yeah, and then that was the other thing. Gold was heavy to carry, carry around and hard to carry around. So they created gold certificates. Gold certificates became what is known as cash. But what these bankers realized is that since only 5% of their actual physical gold holdings are ever being requested physically, well, they can lend, they can, lend out as pieces of paper 95% of the rest of that, right? They can amplify it by 95% because only 5% of those people are going to actually come and ask for their gold, right? So they were able to just basically create fake money out of nothing. And if you can create fake money out of nothing, uh, but people believed it was money because it was certificates for gold, right? And so, of course, the problem was, you know, what happens if everybody comes and asks for the gold at once? Well, yes, then you're in trouble. But the thing is, that never happened. Only 5% of people ever came to ask for their money. So that means that you could lend out way more gold certificates, paper certificates, than you actually had physical gold. So that that is like the magic, that is like the magic pill for power. The first people to discover that you could do that and get away with that, and the public didn't know that you were lending out more money more gold certificates than you actually had physical gold man that is that's magic that's pure magic that is pure power you now have the ability to amplify your own gold holdings to a level way beyond you know 20 times is the ratio beyond what you actually have now you have so much money 
as a banker that you can control basically anything you want because obviously everything comes down to money controlling people through money buying politicians through money funding everything through money right so um, people figured out how to do that and subsequently they take over took over the world and enslaved the entire planet uh, with this system uh, so Bitcoin is the first time in history where a completely new paradigm a completely new idea of how to exchange currency was invented isn't it Chris can you discuss about the, tell us about a little bit about the freedom aspects and the sovereignty and why this is historically we're talking about thousands of years of history 2000 years or more of the history of currency why Bitcoin is so fundamentally revolutionary on this planet absolutely and, and, and that's a really good summation of, of where we're at and why Bitcoin came into being. Right? Bitcoin is uh, the first time ever that we've been able to figure out a way to transmit value without having to trust a third party intermediary uh, because third party intermediaries can do exactly what you said, which is continue to uh, inflate the supply, to control the supply through a central authority unbeknownst to the people who are utilizing the system. Um, gold, you know, money. Money is always competing to become the best money. We started out with shells and necklaces. Uh, we moved to metals. We had silver. We had nickel. They were too easy. They weren't scarce enough. Somebody could go dig up their own. Then they could they could have more of the supply. We moved to gold. That becomes scarcer. Gold over time, historically, it's been one of the most scarce assets. That's why it was back so well. Uh, that's why it was utilized for so long. And gold certificates became as you said, the representation of that gold. And then they got rid of the gold. They didn't even need the gold in the picture. They just said, well, we're not going to redeem for gold anymore. We're just going to, we're just going to promise to, uh, to use our military power to enforce uh, the, the, the promises uh, of security, really, which became uh, the, uh, the, the OPEC, the, the, the oil dollar, right? And that, that's really what happened in 1971. Um, what Bitcoin revolutionizes is the ability to eliminate the trusted third parties entirely. We don't need them. It also is the first time ever that we're creating a, a monetary asset with a fixed supply. Scarcity is built in. And no matter how much effort you put into it, um, when there is a lack of gold, you can go out and people can put a bunch of money into gold mining. I have a friend in Canada, lives near you, Joe. He's a gold miner. He's figured out a way to take waste ore and use uh, some revolutionary uh, um, um, uh, vibrational uh, resonance technologies to extract more gold from waste ore. So he's, he's getting more gold, right? So people will put work, they will put effort in to increase the supply uh, because it's highly in demand. It doesn't matter how much computing power you put towards Bitcoin. Bitcoin is created in such a way that the more power that people put into the mining, that the difficulty raises up so that there will always only be a steady supply of the amount of currency that's left to be mined to come out in the same way that it does. So every 10 minutes, another block, the block reward will be the same until the block reward changes every halving. That's how much is uh, the supply is increasing the entire time. You, you, you could be a nation state, you could put every computer in the country uh, towards mining Bitcoin, and you would not change that rate of supply. It, it can't be done. So that's one of the technical innovations of Bitcoin. Uh, the other innovation is, as I said, eliminating the third party. So trust, it's peer to peer. We don't need to have anyone else. The network itself is what you use to trust that asset. 
and the ability that it operates like cash in the sense that when I send it to you, it's sent. It can never be given back. I, I can voluntarily send it back to you, but there's no way to, to charge it back. It's a one-way transaction. Um, Bitcoin is the, is the hardest money that the planet that we as a species have ever has ever found. It has all the properties of gold and yet it's digital. So it's, it's more durable, it's more uh, transportable, it's uh, easier to, to send. Uh, it's just, it's the perfect hard money until something else, technology, eventually, maybe we find something that's better, but so far, Bitcoin is it. Thank you. You're listening to Chris Almeida on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week when Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about the position of Joe Biden when it comes to late-term abortions, she had the phony rhetoric ready to go. What I will say is majority of Americans, majority of Americans wants to see their rights protected, wants to see women have their rights protected, wants to be able to, wants, want women to be able to make those deeply, deeply personal decisions on their bodies, on their own, not politicians. That's what majority of Americans want to see. And so the president's going to stand with majority of Americans on this issue. Do those unborn babies have any rights then? I'm not gonna get into that specific, I'm not gonna get into that question. Rights for unborn babies, what are you, mad? <laughs> but let's take a look at how Americans really feel about the issue of abortion. This is from Gallup, May of last year. Only 34% of Americans believe abortion should be legal under all circumstances. 34%, a majority, 64% say limited circumstances or not at all. And in the same poll, only 22% of Americans believe third trimester abortion should be legal at all. It just shows that Karine Jean-Pierre and her leftist buddies are a bunch of liars. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Uh, welcome back. Uh, during the break, um, Chris threw out a couple of uh, interesting uh, links that we need to look at. I think, again, it's all about self-education, self-learning, self-directed learning. I, I'm like most people. I'm a complete novice. Um, my son embarrasses me because he's an expert. He's been doing it for years and uh, he's kind of saying, Dad, you know, get on, get on the, get on the, get on the bandwagon now, because my concern is that, as you say, Chris, the sovereignty issue, isn't it? The idea that you can protect everything. And uh, the other key thing about um, the banking, potential banking crisis is confidence. If there's confidence in any system, monetary system, you know, it's going to th thrive. When confidence goes down the drain, you, you, you're in a, you're in a crisis. And uh, this is something that I feel that's building now. Um, the big talk a year or two ago was about um, bank bail-ins, the idea of just taking, clearing out your, your assets from your accounts. And it's it worries me that uh, 
In contracts now, they're constantly revising our contracts with banks. You know, it is actually a real risk that you could have your the bank seize your assets for a bail-in. Um, is that is that would that at all be possible for a Bitcoin? No, not for Bitcoin. Bitcoin can't be seized. Uh, uh, they they could cut off your internet to the access that your access to the internet. That's that's really the only way they can separate you from your Bitcoin. So if you can't access the internet, and there are alternatives. Bitcoin can be uh, transacted through shortwave radio. There is a satellite in space uh, uh, that is uh, uh, from a company called Blockstream that is participating as uh, part of the Bitcoin network. So you could uh, point a satellite of your own towards that, hook that up to your computer and uh, connect to the Bitcoin network that way. Um, there are other very interesting open source alternatives to the internet to collect to connect to the Bitcoin network. Um, the Bitcoin network is actually being thought of as a potential, the next version of the internet by some people. How could we put up a, a truly free Wikipedia style, Wikipedia 2.0 that's not controlled by a central authority? Um, could we store that on the Bitcoin blockchain? That is something uh, that's being discussed by a lot of people today in respect to this kind of censorship issue that's happening. Um, you know, so there's a great quote about sovereignty. That I, that I really love. Um, sovereignty is not given, it is taken. And that's from uh, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, who was uh, the father of modern Turkey. You have to choose freedom. You have to choose sovereignty. You, you have to decide not to participate in systems that you don't want to support. That's not just the financial system. I think Bitcoin is the key in the financial system. And that's really where people need to move as much as they can onto that parallel system before it becomes this system, which is really the way that it looks today. If you're going to read the tea leaves with all the facts that we have in front of us, and you look at the house of cards, that is the, the central bank system that we have today. If you look at what they are trying to push us into with the idea of bail-ins, with we're going to take your money, which is central bank digital currencies, synthetic central currencies. So these aren't issued by the bank, the central bank, but they're actually issued by Wall Street, by the big banks themselves. So that's another kind of digital currency that they're now talking about. That's what they're thinking they'll do in the US. In Europe, they're going to do it through the, uh, the central bank of Europe. Uh, so that's going to be their approach. Um, we need that alternative. That's what Bitcoin is. Um, outside of Bitcoin, we need alternatives to big tech. Uh, we need privacy. We need to be able to go online without being surveilled. Uh, we need to be able to utilize systems that don't harvest us as the product, our data as the product for them to profit off of. And there's a lot of tech out there actually for us to do that. Yeah, there's so many open source projects out there that you can run and participate on your own. Uh, we, we host our own media here at our house. Uh, we don't participate with Apple iCloud. We don't use uh, uh, the Google Cloud. We don't use uh, Microsoft Cloud. We, you know, our own photos go from our iPhone to our home server automatically. Great product. Shout out to Image, I-M-M-I-C-H. That's a great uh, open source product. It's free. You can download it, you install it, you run it, and it works fantastically. Um, and it's constantly in development because it has, uh, like mo most open source projects, there's a very um, motivated community who want to support it because they want to see that kind of functionality. They want to see those kinds of features, those kinds of abilities. Um, you use things like ProtonMail. So you can have uh, a mail that's encrypted. It's much harder for people to uh, eavesdrop on. Um, there are all sorts of technologies out there available to us today that we that we can choose. You know, we um, 
If you look at, I, I mentioned, uh, if you're interested in learning about alternative ways of living around the world and citizenship and that kind of thing, there's a great guy on YouTube, uh, uh, Nomad Capital, um, who we watch, I, I enjoy his content, but YouTube's a heavily surveilled platform. And there's some a chance in the future that they're gonna say, you're not able to get on the internet unless you have an ID that we approve, a digital ID, and that's gonna be tied to your bank account, and that's gonna be tied to your social media, and we're gonna decide like they're already doing in China. And don't think just because it's in China that it won't come here to the West because it is, and it will. They're gonna decide what you can see on the internet, if you can get on the internet, if you've eaten the right thing, if your carbon footprint is low enough, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm. you know, Bitcoin on the financial side, open source projects on, on everywhere else, get away from big tech, get away from social media everywhere that you can, uh, move to free operating systems like Linux, move to things that have uh, greater guarantees of privacy. We have to take that step. We have to take our sovereignty, we're responsible. Software yeah. provides that ability, doesn't it? It provides the ability for us to totally free ourselves from these uh, these systems. Yeah, a good uh, quote I heard from someone was that you know backing up everything into the cloud. I mean that like there are some cloud systems which are okay if they are open source and if they're uh, what's it called called blind encryption or something so that the whoever's hosting the data yeah. it's literally impossible just like Bitcoin for them to look at your your data or to take it or do anything with it right uh, because of an encryption so you want to look into that you know certainly if Google Microsoft you know you can't really trust them they're probably scanning your data they have systems to to look at it and they're mine they're mining it for financial resources they're seeing mm -hmm. what data you're putting up there that they could you know maybe use to sell or something so you have to be very careful about about that that's why you shouldn't use those those big uh, big company name ones um you know uh one thing that i've noticed too is that uh yeah especially on youtube and and facebook i mean these these big platforms uh it seems to me now that these ai language systems that they're developing are being used to scan your comments in real time and i've noticed on youtube and other people have commented uh, on my own channel uh, this to me as well that if you write something literally if you simply write something that's too intelligent it will ban it will shadow ban that comment and hide that comment like it looks like the algorithm the whole purpose of their development of ai is actually so that they can tell who's talking and typing intelligently to each other who's discussing intelligent topics and it shadow bans those topics so that nobody can see intelligent discussion so that nobody can see intelligent rational discussion where you're learning something so think of how insane that is but that is an automatic and obvious application of course they would use of course that's a possible application of ai and of course the people who want to enslave us would use ai for that purpose let's stop people from being able to talk online intelligently so that's another reason why you really need to go to independent um, social media systems mm -hmm. gab for now seems to be fairly decent but i think we're going to need something else other than Gab2, some truly open source systems. Now, one criticism people will bring up about Ga uh, sorry, um, Bitcoin and all these systems that, well, you need electricity run this, to run all this. What happens when electricity goes out? Well, Chris, I think you would agree that if electricity goes out, once people realize that cash is just pieces of paper and is valueless, cash will be valueless as well. It'll go back to gold. And if you're out of power for that long, yeah, you're right. No, gold isn't even going to matter. 
Whatever cache you have isn't going to matter. And yes, of course, your computer isn't going to matter either. You're going to be fighting for bare survival, right? So I think that, what, what do you think about that argument when people criticize that it's dependent upon the existence of electricity and electricity not going out? Are we safe sure, with our uh, electrical system? <laughs> I, I mean, that, that would be the ultimate uh, mechanism, you know, to uh, some sort of EMP pulse or shut down the grid, uh, the grid, which is the most unsecure thing in the country it's it's absolutely ludicrous the the systems that are being that that our electrical our electrical grid runs on how easy they are to hack it, it's, it's really really quite ironic actually um but sure they can they can pull the plug and if they pull the plug then yeah you can't eat gold and you certainly can't fire up uh, uh the internet to to get to your bitcoin um eventually the electricity hopefully will go on and humanity won't slip completely into the dark ages uh, but things that will become important, and this comes back to that idea, idea of taking your sovereignty. I think we touched about this a little bit on the last conversation that we had. You know, are you growing some things at home so you have some food? Uh, if you can, if you can have one chicken, uh, you know, or a couple of backyard chickens, so you have some eggs. Um, what can you do to take control so that you are independent of the central system that you've been put in? Now, if you're in the city, do you need to be in the city? Maybe that's not the best place for you long term. Mm -hmm. if, if, if the electricity goes off, I would not want to be in a city <laughs> because there's a lot of people there um, that are going to get hungry pretty quick, um, you know, within a matter of days. And when people become hungry, they become irrational and do things that they wouldn't normally do. Right. People behave in ways, uh, you know, they need to feed their kids. They need to feed their family. People act out of desperation. Um, so. If you can get out of that environment, have another place that you can go, great. If you can't, and sometimes you can't, community gardens. How do you how do you get to really know? You know, a lot of people don't even know their neighbor, right? They, they don't know the person that lives across the hall, their name, right? Because people are so into the electronic system. They're so escaping into their phones and onto the internet and onto the TV, right? We need to step away from those things wherever we can and start to actually meet other people and to join and form communities. That's, that's, that's really the answer to that because those, the people it's been, I think there was a great study uh, that happened around the great depression in the United States. The people that survived the best are the people that had good social networks because it, you know, it happened universally to everybody. You had wealthy people, you had poor people, everybody was in the same bread line, right? So if you, if you had a good social network, you knew people, you know, that had a farm or somebody that was growing things, or, you know, this guy is good at this and this, this woman is good at that. And this person knows how to do this, right? You can combine those efforts and you can help each other survive. If you don't know anyone and you're completely isolated, you're going to have a really, really tough time. Yeah. One, one lesson I learned, Chris, and it's also it partly extends from what you're saying is the, the idea of uh, personal sovereignty is great, all well and good, but, uh, Community living is also, you know, the, the the balance you need to strike, isn't it? The community aspect is is very much a factor here. Um, you know, as you say, that the Bitcoin issue is again put it in context. That's just one asset in your toolbox of many ways to deal with the the threat of of the uh, powers that be. You know, to to effectively take what they want from you. And again, it, more people are becoming aware of the fact that it's a constant war, isn't it? A constant war. We just want to be left alone, don't we? But we don't realize that the powers that be, there are people out there, the psychopathic class, are always angling to get something from you for nothing. Yeah, you're, you're spot on, right? I mean, uh, governments, you know, governments should be in fear of the people. People should not be in fear of the government. Mm -hmm. 
people empower the government, the government does not empower people. So the entire situation, we're, we're in such an upside down world. It's so completely reversed from the way that it should be, right? Every government starts out that way, unless it's a, you know, a dictatorship. Uh, some people believe that a benevolent dictatorship is the best form of government, but benevolent leaders don't stay benevolent very long, <laughs> which is the problem with that. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right. Companies are, you know, government support corporations who are there purely for profit and, and they are trying to find the best way to continue to get profit in every way, shape or form. And you are a part of that. You're just a product. You're, you're something, you're a consumer and you're meant to consume until you're no longer viable. And I think going back to AI, which is, uh, boy, that's a big issue there that you could, you could spend an entire hour just speaking about AI. Um, and there's someone on the on on the web who I think is going to be recognized as, as one of the best researchers of our time, a, a young lady named Whitney Webb. Um, yeah, I was going to mention you should you should absolutely look to Whitney Webb. She's uh, really really intelligent and very thorough in her research, um, and has a very very good understanding of the underpinnings of what's actually happening uh, behind the surface. Um, the estimate that she's been talking about is that uh, AI will be generating 90% of the content by 2025 that we see online. So it's not just that they want to use AI to suppress our voices. They want to use AI to generate the voice. They want it to, to replace generate, us. Yeah, to re replace us entirely so that the people who are not asking, who are not taking uh, their sovereignty in their own hand, they'll just consume that information. It's like, you know, I've, I've got an, an older person that we take care of. My, my father, he's 81. He watches uh, CBC, CBS, and NBC, and Fox all day long because that's the truth. That's what he believes <laughs> is the truth. And that's what uh, other people are doing. There's a lot of people like that. And that's what they want to turn the Internet into. Well, yeah, and that's another reason why we need independent systems, uh, you know, that are open source where people can, you know, verify that, you know, you're not just being bombarded with fake AI generated, you know, plausible looking, but ultimately fake and false uh, information from not real people so that we can maintain communication, mm -hmm. ensure that we're communicating with real people. You know, we, although anonymous, we obviously, you know, have a lot of uh, uh, scenarios where we wish to remain anonymous and why shouldn't we not be anonymous anyway? But still, we would like to verify that we're talking with real people, wouldn't we? We might get 100%. to the point, Chris, where we, we think we're interviewing you, but we're actually interviewing something that's a deep fake of you. And that's something that, uh, again, you, you, the, the, it's unlimited, isn't it? The bounds with AI are unlimited. We, we have to keep our wits about us. Um, we've got just about a minute Very left, scary. Chris. Yeah, In the last minute, uh, Chris, just give us um, some go-to resources that... Uh, you know, the, the newbies to Bitcoin like myself can look at, you know, you, we talked in the break about some uh, websites. Maybe you can suggest a few. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think Bitcoin.org is, is a great place to start and get some really good links and resources to uh, going down kind of the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Um, you can find enough there to really get anywhere. Um, there is if, if you if you like if you search Bitcoin uh, for kids on on YouTube, there's a great animated series that's geared towards children, but is so intelligent. Uh, I think every adult uh, could do well to get a good understanding of Bitcoin. I can't remember the name of the series off the top of my head. I, I'm happy to add that link uh, somewhere. Um, and if you're interested in following more of what I'm doing, I'm really focused right now on the Freedom Fund. Uh, because I obviously believe in freedom technology and I believe that we can put capital 
towards moving to be the world that we want to, to create the change that we want. So you can find that at freedomfund.xyz. And you can find me at linkedin.com slash in slash Chris Almeida. And um, yeah, I have lots of links. I've got a full blog at Life on BTC on Substack. Talks all about Bitcoin. Um, you can get a lot of information there on how to run your own hardware. Chris, how to Chris run open I don't want to cut systems. you off. We're out of time, Chris. Chris Almeida, such a pleasure to have you on. We'll have you back again. Thank you very much, Chris Almeida, TNT Radio.